I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk with you about the paranormal, as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, tonight we're going to be having a, a holiday show here. Yeah, it does sound really loud. It definitely seems weird. And uh, I know that Somebody's we've been messing with these. Yeah, we're, we're broadcasting in the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com, Spooky TV, and I'm sure we're blowing out their eardrums because I've been messing around with the dial a little bit there. So you guys can just let us know if there's uh, issues with the sound. Because to me, I sound really loud and tinny. Where, where's where's all my bass? Where's my bass at? There we go. All right. Well, uh, we are going to keep muddling through, and uh, we're, we're not really uh, <laughs> low battery day. It says our breathing sounds fine. That's Moniz that you usually hear breathing into the microphone, by the way. He's, uh, he's practicing for when he makes his phone calls later on this week. <laughs> It's the holiday season, you know. It's it's everybody's got their own traditions. Moniz is calling women and being creepy. <laughs> it's, I already got him last week with the whole sex offender thing, but well, yeah. that's that's a, that's a different story for a different show. But uh, tonight we're going to be talking about Christmas ghosts and paranormal stories and all kinds of stuff with our guest. He's the content director for Spooky South Coast, uh, which basically means he tells us what to do now. And uh, he's also a noted author, and he's a, what I like to call a... Uh... Man about Cr- town? Cr- Chris, what's the name that I have for you? An analytical folklorist? Is that what I call you? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, now, my, now my title is people uh, address me as folklore expert. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, anyone who's a folklorist oh, or an expert in anything knows that that probably doesn't fit me too well. Well, uh, I'm getting complaints here from the chat room that they can't see my face. It's like, that's my Christmas gift to you. <laughs> you don't have to see my face. But Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it's a good title. I mean, it's, it, you, as far as I know, you're the only analytical folklorist out there. So it's, it looks good on the business card. It really does, and, uh, and I'm printing those up for the holiday season as my gift to myself. So uh, analytical folklorist, um, it's just confusing enough that no one knows exactly what I do, which is a lot like my life. You know, and, and what people don't realize about you is, uh, and we, we've talked about it here on the show, uh, for those who don't realize, though, you, you're a teacher. You're, and you're not yep. just a teacher by profession, you're a teacher by nature. And uh, I think that in that capacity, you know, that's why we love bringing you on the show here, because any guest can come on and promote their latest book or talk about their latest project, but when you come on, you always teach us something. And we always learn something, and the audience learns something. And I think that when somebody does something... Uh, and it's not their profession, but it's actually just who they are. Then uh, you know that that would look really good on a business card too. Chris Balzano, teacher in life. <laughs> Thank God, it's not a life teacher. Yeah, it, you know it's it's funny because 
you know, this week I had to to really balance that delicate razor of uh, not coming up with content for my students that was fun and holiday based without offending and without um, without isolating. And and there are some really good gems that you know, some of which I'm going to share tonight uh, with you. Um, but it, it's 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 this very interesting balance you have to do as a teacher, and it's it's, it's one of those things that. This week provided a lot of really good material. I hope that and and the, the best part is, is you're saying teacher, but I'm also a huge learner. Um, and sometimes when when we're in discussions in class, and, and my students aren't you know uh, rocket scientists by any stretch of the imagination, just by the the students that I usually uh, am, am uh, assigned to teach because I have a you know my specialty is working with the tough cases. Um, they come out with some beauties and some things that really make my brain pop. Mm-hmm. And so when I do that, I always be like, you know what? I'm going to store that away. That sounds like a Balzano breakdown to come someday. <laughs> well, that's well, that's what we love having you on here for is these Balzano breakdowns where, you know, we really get to the essence of things. And that's why I think we're going to do that tonight. We're going to get down to the essence of uh, basically the the hall. I mean, how do you want to put this? Because I mean, we're we're basically analyzing. Um, Various different aspects of holiday traditions, holiday stories. I mean, I know what I've got here uh, in front of me deals with a lot of the the legends and and stories associated with Christmas. Uh, but what have you got on the docket for us tonight? Um, I, I am I am uh, I told you I wanted to talk about the four ghosts of, uh, of Dickens and how they own so much more to folklore. Um, than they do Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and in that a Christmas Carol um, with all of these ghosts of, of Christmas stages and the setting of it is actually kind of devoid of Christ, um, and so it's much more. Maybe that's why it's such a universal theme that so many people can pick up on and adapt. Is that it actually, you know, for all of its religious undertones, doesn't have uh, a religious anchor um, or a specific religious anchor, and so. And with that as my launching pad, I was just like, you know, this season brings out the best in people, um, but it also brings up some really creepy and eerie and often inspirational things. And so my, my really thing was connections between, you know, the holiday season and the unknown. You know, and it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that A Christmas Carol is devoid of the religious aspect, because let's face it, I mean, if Ebenezer Scrooge was really that much of a jerk, nothing would slap him back to reality like a quick visit from Jesus. <laughs> you know, and 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 uh, and that don't happen. You know, it's, it's. I mean, I don't know. We, we can get into this a lot later, but you know, not only is a question of where does his where does his revelation come, where does his to quote a religious word epiphany come, um, but more importantly, who 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 the heck wants him changed? You know, what's the motivation of the universe in getting this one man to change, and, and, why, and who's the directive from? Um, and that's something that I'm, I'm definitely looking to, uh, to explore and to, to get, hopefully, a lot of feedback in terms of, you know, I want people calling up and, and giving their opinions of it, as well as their opinions of the, which is already starting in the chat room, uh, um, their opinions of the best representation of, of the story. Well, and not only that, too, but, I mean, we can leave the phone lines open all night if anybody has any kind of... Uh... You know, maybe an obscure Christmas tradition that they uh, observe, or maybe they've had a paranormal Christmas uh, story uh, that they could share. I mean, the phone lines are open for all that good stuff at 508-996-0500 
1-877-996-1420. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. Or like Chris said, you can jump into the chat room on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, we've got all of our friends in there. I just want to say happy holidays to everybody in the chat room uh, so that we don't forget to do that tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, w- one of the interesting stories that I read online earlier was uh, related to a child's toy phone. Uh, where it was a Christmas gift, and this little girl wanted to call her grandmother to tell her about what she got for Christmas, but the regular phone was way too high up, and she couldn't reach it. She wasn't allowed to crawl up on the counter to get to it, and none of the family was around, so she picked up the toy phone to kind of pretend call Grandma, and to her surprise, this being back in the 1950s, uh, to her surprise, there was a live operator on the end of that toy phone asking where to connect the call. So she said, I want to call Grandma. And next thing you know, she was talking to her grandmother. And not only did she speak with her, but when the mother uh, actually called the grandmother on the regular phone later to kind of share the story with her, the grandmother's like, oh, no, I, I had a conversation with her. I spoke with her and recounted the entire conversation. And, and the girl who wrote the story ended up getting in trouble for climbing the counter, even though she didn't. <laughs> But uh, it, and she said, you know, it just must be the magic of the holiday season. And I think that that is definitely something that carries through with a lot of people's experiences at this time of year, that whether you believe in, in the paranormal, whether you believe in magic, whether you believe in uh, anything beyond just ourselves, you can't deny that when the holidays roll around, there's something tangible in the air. Yeah, and, and I'd like to start out with a... a, a, a a Christmas ghost story of my own, if I can. Absolutely. And this is one from my own experience that I, I don't think I've ever really shared uh, with the public. I might have dropped a quick reference to it. Um, but back in back in 1999, uh, I made a failed attempt at becoming a Floridian. Um, obviously, a, a mistake that I would correct, <laughs> <laughs> quote unquote, mistake that I would correct later. But I moved down to Orlando, and the first Christmas we were down, we decided to drive back up. Uh, and this was before we had children, and so it was just the two of us and our Ford Focus making the, depending on what the weather traffic is like, either the 27 or the 87-hour journey from Orlando, Florida, to Massachusetts. Um, and it was pretty much clear sailing the whole way. We actually made really good time. We didn't even have to stop over. Um, and I was really motivated because I wanted to see my niece, who would become my... Uh, my godchild. Uh, I hadn't seen her yet. She'd been born a month and a half earlier, and I was really, really motivated. Like, it was one of those things where I just wanted to go through everything just so I could see her, you know? Um, and we're driving, we're driving. We decided to stop off for our first, um, or if I should say it really, our last, like, last gas up um, and to get some coffee. By this time, it was pretty late at night. I think it was, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, which is when you're driving since, you know, early the or late the night before, it's you know it's late. <laughs> and um, we stopped off, and I believe we stopped off in Danbury, although I'm not quite sure about that. We stopped off. We went in, clear skies. Went in. We got some coffee. My wife got a soda. We gassed up the. And we went when we came to gas off the car. It was basically a blizzard. Um, we didn't know where it came from. It just was one of those like spot storms, and it was crazy. I mean, the snow was already starting to stick. It was already starting to stick on our windshield. Um, and we both looked at each other. We're like, we're so close. You know, when you're driving that long, 1,500 miles, you know, that Danbury to 
to to to Boston is really close, and we're like, we, we just want to get through this. We want to get through this, and we're like, should we push through? Should we not push through? We pulled on to the road. You know, we got pulled back onto the main road and back onto the highway, and the, the snow was already sticking there. I was like, this is ridiculous. How could a snowstorm hit like this quickly and have this much of an impact? And we started sliding. Um, we even started kind of like, okay, do what? We're just going to have to get off at the next exit. We're going to have to get a hotel. There's no way we can we can get through this or and. Um, all of a sudden, our rear rearview mirror, we saw a snowplow, and so we're like, okay, well they're going to be paying, you know, they're going to be plowing in front of us. I guess it's okay. And the, the snowplow, you know, passed us and went ahead, and we got into its um, into its wake. And the odd thing was, anyone who's ever been behind a snowplow, that's like the worst place you can be <laughs> because while the snow is off the road, it's now on your windshield. Um, and for some weird reason, it was almost like we were in this little orb. You know, as we're going, you know, not a ghostly orb, but, and as we're driving, the, the, the snow seemed to even be like cutting itself in front of our, our windshield. And like there wasn't any, practically any snow like hitting us, and it was like, oh my god, this is like the clearest driving we've ever done. The roads were clear, we were stopped, we weren't slipping anymore. And we're following behind this, we're following behind, we're following, you know, for a good, I'd say probably half hour or so, no trouble whatsoever. Um, and then we were approaching the Massachusetts border. And as we started kind of approaching it, there was a turn in the road, which wasn't too severe. It's like, you know, it's a highway. You're going, you know, 75 miles an hour, to, you know, depending on the conditions. We weren't going quite that fast. And we took this corner, and all of a sudden, the plow was just gone. The plow had completely disappeared. And maybe a minute later, we crossed over into Massachusetts, and for some reason, it was almost like a, a snow line. The snow was nowhere near as bad. And we got to, um, we got to the house, you know, within the next hour, hour and a half, got to saw my niece. But it was always this weird thing that my wife and I didn't really talk about at the moment because, you know, when you're living and you're experiencing, you're just kind of just happy to be there. It was like, where did that plow go? As soon as we turned that corner, that plow was gone. And there's no way that it could have gone off the road. We're talking a matter of seconds between, you know, that it was out of our sight. It completely vanished. And it was almost as if, you know, someone had sent that plow to us that one night so that we could get to them in time for Christmas Eve. And it was it was a really weird experience that we still every once in a while look at each other and go like, Hey, remember that ghost plow? <laughs> <laughs> and my wife who my wife who's like, dude, keep the paranormal out of my life. Um, she even kinda like shakes her head and says, Yeah, that was a really weird thing. We don't know you know, there's tons of these stories of, of, of plows and and you know, safety trucks helping people and finding out that there really was no call to nine one one or all these things, and and that's my wife and I's uh, our little own version of that story. Well, that's a it's an excellent version of that story, and uh, um, it's something that you do see a lot of reports of, though. Like you said, these kind of like the guardian angels making sure that people's uh, holidays uh, go off as planned. I mean, so many people travel uh, this time of year, and they they wait till the last minute, and they try to to you know, catch a flight maybe two days before the holiday and it doesn't seem like they're going to make it. And then all of a sudden they get uh, somebody who comes up to them and says, listen, it's more important that you get to your family than I, you know, than I get to where I'm going to go here, take my ticket. You know, like you hear these stories all the time and then the, it's the kindly gentleman who, who uh, you know, disappears. It doesn't really happen anymore now because of, you know, airline safety. <laughs> they know exactly who's buying what ticket when now. But, you know, but the, they are out there and there's always the, the, Stories that we hear about loved ones who have passed, who uh, who find a way to reach in and, and kind of touch people during the holidays in, in a certain manner, uh, whether it be through 
uh, a certain song that reminds you of them or a certain feeling or or maybe even a particular gift. Uh, I know that when, you know, Grandma got run over by the reindeer, you know, I'm sure that when they opened all those presents afterwards, they, they thought about her. <laughs> yeah, and the weird thing is, it's like, you wonder about what that was. Was that a ghostly thing? Was it an angel thing? Was it a time slip thing somehow? Was it a... And, and one of the weird aspects of that story is, is that, you know, was it somehow some transmission to some person who was in real life who went out and did something? Because the twist of that is is that, you know, years later, my mother-in-law remarried, and she remarried, remarried a man who works who worked for the um, Connecticut uh, plowing, you know, the, the, the people who were plowing the roads. And he kind of confirms that he was out that night, and he was plowing near the Massachusetts border. Wow. And so it's this weird... You know, synchronicity kind of thing going on. Could it possibly have been him? Could he have, like, somehow future-wise connected to us? And so it, it, it's really this kind of gem that, that we always keep in. Uh, but it's never fit in anything that I've, <laughs> that I've ever done, like, written about or anything like that. So it's, so it's always been kind of close to my heart. And I always think about it on, on Christmas. Well, I'm glad you could share it with us. We, we, we feel honored. Thank you very much. <laughs> one one thing though that uh, we have to point out about when we're talking about this is we we are going to mention Christmas a lot, uh, but my theory, my feeling is that the magic, the whatever is associated with this time of year, uh, extends beyond all religious borders because you know this holiday was sacred to pagans and you know this time of year was important to all cultures and it doesn't have anything to do necessarily with the birth of Christ which, you know, we can argue about whether or not that actually happened on Christmas, when uh, it's pretty much known now that it wasn't even close. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's all, there seems to be a, a feeling that pervades all religions, all peoples, all cultures at this time of year. I mean, I grew up in a, a household where my father was uh, Jewish and, and his family was Jewish, and uh, but it didn't stop the connection to the time of year. You know, once Hanukkah was over, they they felt in the Christmas spirit, even though they didn't celebrate it. And it, it's something that just, uh, it takes over, and as much as it's been commercialized, we've still retained a lot of that today. And I, and I think that, you know, we talk a lot on the show about, is there such place as a, a cursed place? You know, is there a, a um, is, are there areas that can draw negative or positive things in? Uh, we talk about other people, or are there items that can draw people in somehow? Uh that can be tapped into for, for good or bad reasons. What if there's a, a time of the year that can be? You know, and that's why these religions are drawn to that time, that there is something actually going on. I, I would love it if, if Matt knew anything, um, you know, in terms of the solar system, our distance from the sun, things like that, that, you know, of why that, that might be, potentially. Well, uh, what I can tell you is in wintertime here in Northern Hemisphere, we are actually closer to the sun than um, we are at summertime, believe it or not. Uh, I remember that from Mr. Wizard's World. Well, it's a fact. It's just the way uh, we're, we average about uh, 94 million miles away from the, from the sun, generally. So, And it's only a few million miles difference, which is like you know, being 100 feet away from a big bonfire and taking one step closer. You're really going to be that much warmer type of thing, but um, the only other thing I can think of is maybe the electromagnetic fields of both the sun and the earth may interplay better 
or worse, yeah. depending upon your perspective of it. You know, I mean, I know people when they investigate really track like you know solar activity and and, and try to make links between you know levels of high activity and high solar activity and stuff like that. So you know, maybe it's the season itself that does the same thing. It's also possible too. I mean, and it's something that's a little bit maybe trippier than than uh, you know we get into here usually, but there is the idea that when people put out those feelings, you know, it kind of becomes a real physical force. When, when people, collective unconscious. Yeah, when people are in the Christmas spirit, then the Christmas spirit becomes a, a almost solid physical thing. Which is, you know, which is really weird because you would think, you know, origin-wise, and, and I know we've both kind of uh, done some research on, uh, on the different variants of Santa Claus, you know, throughout the cultures and, and and, uh, and, and different religions even that kind of embrace this giver of gifts. And so many of them are cold weather places. Um, you would think, you would think that you would care less for your family when you're stuck up with them for, you know, days at a time because of the weather. That's, you know, it would be the exact opposite. But I guess, you know, that's also the time when family traditions and, and, and family bonding happens as well. Maybe all families aren't like mine. <laughs> well, it's also one of those uh, few times of the year when you can, at least for a few hours on one particular day, generally most of the world is in a good mood. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of bad moods. Eggnog is involved. But well, <laughs> yeah. But uh, my, my brother makes a monster eggnog out of lighter fluid. But... Uh, <laughs> it's probably between that and New Year's is really the only time that you can kind of guarantee that you're going to get that much uh, outpouring of positive feelings. I mean, even even the curmudgeoniest bastard will smile a little bit on Christmas, I would assume. I do. And let's, and let's <laughs> not forget, in Ghostbusters, too, it was the, the holiday season, specifically the singing of, of the New Year's song that uh, that drove the evil forces away. Yeah. That unity for that one moment for the, for that one time. And uh it's it's to me, I don't know. I mean I, I get stressed out uh, you know, being just a poor radio host <laughs> well my five jobs, but you know, I get stressed out all from pretty much from Halloween on about making sure I can pay for everything and uh I get stressed out with making sure that everybody's gonna be happy with what they get. I mean I don't even consider for a second you know anything that I might get because it's so far from my mind. Uh, not like when I was a kid. You know now it's it's completely different. It's about my son and about my family and you know what they're going to enjoy. But uh, the number one feeling I feel on Christmas is relief when everything goes well, <laughs> and I, I just feel so much better about myself. And I can sit there and say, you know, even though we have these struggles, even though we have these daily challenges in life. It worked out pretty well for at least a, a few hours. And then the toys break and, you know, everybody eats all the food and somebody gets into a fight inevitably. Yeah, I know. I mean, I know that we were, you know, taking inventory today of what we had bought, you know, because we're getting ready for the, the the ritual of the wrapping. And uh, it is that same kind of motion that, like, you know, is it all right? You know what I'm saying? Is it right? Is, what's the reaction going to be? What's the – and then, you know, it never – at least in my experience, it never seems to be – um, a, a letdown. You know, there might be some that, uh, some gifts that you give, they're like, oh, oh, thanks. But then there's some gifts that you think like, really? I was just thinking about you and I saw this and I picked it up and it's like, you know, this explosion. And I think that that really kind of feeds into that spirit that you're talking about, which can become, you know, a, a kind of self-moving entity. 
Well, and one thing, I mean, we can talk about this later on in the show when we talk about uh, our new project uh, and put out the call to our listeners to share their stories with us. But uh, you can almost attach something to that gift. You can attach that feeling and that intent to that gift so that, you know, when when it's something beyond just something you grabbed on the shelf and when it's something that actually kind of spoke to you about a person – it's almost like you can attach those intentions and those feelings to that item when you pass it on to them. And what might seem on the surface as being kind of like a, huh? Turns into a, oh wow. Right. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my little, my little acting version of what happens. And I know all I want for Christmas is a, uh, a copy of Ghosts of the South Coast. You're getting so. it. It's coming sooner or later. I have a few ones that I have to mail out on Monday, so I'll make sure I can uh, throw one in there. And if you if you are in the listening area and you need to pick up a copy of Ghosts of the South Coast for the holiday season, I have them here in the studio. Come here by midnight, and you can get a signed copy. It's only $20. I'll make it out to whoever you want. I'll write everything short of uh, threats against the President of the United States in the book. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'll handle those. That's that's on you, Monies. Uh, well, when you were looking through some of these uh, <clears throat> holiday traditions, Chris, did you come up with any really strange um, histories behind any of our Christmas traditions? Because I, I found a few of them. I was wondering if you'd come up with any. Um, I, you know, I was really focusing on trying to get some uh, some stories, especially uh, you know, scavenging Ghost Village news of some kind of holiday things that were going on or that have gone on. So. I'll leave traditions up to you. Well, here's 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 what I found really interesting. There's a lot of things that I, I take for granted in the holiday season that I can't really understand why we have them, uh, why we might observe certain things. Uh, for example, candy canes. You know, I never really gave them a second thought. I just thought they were kind of uh, decorative. They were the colors of the season. And, you know, it, it's just something that was always around at Christmas time. I actually found something pretty interesting online that says that um, candy canes were actually uh, invented about 230 years ago. Uh, and according to this report, one evening the children were being very loud and noisy at church and were not paying attention uh, to the church services. So in an effort to keep them quiet uh, for the for the Christmas ceremony, uh, they were given a long white sugar candy stick. And that became eventually into the idea of the candy cane, which the red and the white, the white symbolizes the purity of Jesus, and the red symbolizes the blood of his sacrifice for us. And uh, the shape of it, some schools of thought are that it's supposed to be the shape of a shepherd's crook, and others are that it's a J for Jesus. So, I mean, I, I never would have thought that there was that much significance placed on something that basically every time Santa gave me one when I got my picture taken, I, I kind of threw it away. <laughs> it's kind of like spitting out the wafer, you know? Yeah. I was gonna say, way to throw away Jesus, brother. Um, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I, I think the the one thing that as I was looking at some of the legends and traditions, you know, that I was seeing and kind of you know going through all of these kind of obscure references, is that so much of it is based on superstition, um, and so much of it is based on um, you know things that we would consider magic. But then there are also these things that are completely mundane, and you know, like. They needed, you know, they needed a spokesperson, so kind of Santa became that. You know, like that kind of thing. That the, you know, that this weird, very weird holiday because it's this mix of, of of these old superstitions, you know, throwing salt over your shoulder, mixed with commercialism that have come to kind of create and galvanize people. You know, not only in this country but in other countries as well. 
And the other weird thing is, is you know, so many of these things are, are based on this, and this goes back to the whole Christmas Carol idea. So much of, of our holiday traditions are based on these kind of things that are um, that are black and white, that are opposites of each other. The nice list, the naughty list. So many of these things were meant to be inspiring and then scary as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really this unique kind of uh, blend of those things that kind of makes the holiday that that the holidays that people know. Well, you know, you mentioned the scary stuff. I found some pretty uh, interesting scary ones, which, um, you know, we all know that Santa Claus is kind of an amalgamation of a number of different, uh, you know, St. Nicholas and a number of other uh, traditions in in other cultures uh, and countries. But uh, this was an interesting article that I read. Uh, In Iceland, they have something uh, called the Yule Man, which is a goblin. That begins appearing 12 days before Christmas and steals meats and sausages, milk and candles, plays mischievous tricks on humans. Uh, in Greece, they have the Kalikatsorol, a group of hairy trolls that play pranks on humans and befoul food. Uh, France has uh, Pierre Fouettard, or Whipping Father, a man who is depicted as a murderous, terrorizing figure with a blackened face and a whip in his hand. Uh, one legend says he killed three children, cut them up, and cooked them in a stew. St. Nicholas happened upon the scene and resurrected the children, uh, after which uh, Pierre Fouterad repented and became St. Nick's companion. Um, and uh, supposedly, this is kind of interesting, the, the character on the front cover of Led Zeppelin's album, Led Zeppelin IV, is supposed to be uh, Pierre Fouterad. Uh, then there's Black Peter from Spain, a demon enslaved by Santa. Uh, a mischievous fellow who puts bad children in a sack and takes them back to Spain to work in Santa's workshops. Uh, the Krampus in Austria and hung- Hungary, uh, who he's kind of the anti-Santa. He's He goes around punishing the bad children while Santa would give them the presents. Uh, and a lot of these <clears throat> traditions relate around December 5th and December 6th instead of the 25th. Uh, and this one uh, was was pretty pretty cool, too. And uh, I know I'm not going to pronounce it right, but it's Niekt Rupert. Another German companion of Santa who appears on Christmas Eve with a long beard and uh, wears fur. And Rupert is actually one of their words for devil, apparently. And he's a dark figure that plays against Santa's light. And uh, he is, again, the uh, the same idea. He does all the negativity and all the dark uh, opposites of what Santa does. So these are just some of the stories that I I found out there. Um, And and there's another one, too, uh, that's actually still somewhat observed today in Pennsylvania Dutch country. And uh, I'm going to throw this one out there, Chris, and see if you've ever heard it in your many, many years of collecting folklore stories. Have you ever heard of Der Belsnickel? Uh, not until you emailed me about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this the idea of uh, Der, uh, Der Belsnickel, there's a few different reports that I heard. Um, one is that he is a cranky, flir- fur-clad character <clears throat> who neighbors and family members might dress up as. Uh, in another version of the story, he's actually the devil. And he uh, goes around with a hickory switch, and he basically passes judgment on the kids right then and there. You either get to pick something good out of his bag, or he whips you with the hickory switch. Uh, but Santa, well, St. Nicholas, uh, supposedly comes and captures him on Christmas Eve, ties him up and makes him go around with him, and rewards all the all the children, be it good or bad. So, you know, these, these traditions, obviously, we can see how they play into to a lot of the... Uh, characterization of Santa Claus today, but it shows that there was kind of a darker side to this holiday, uh, whether it was to scare children into being good or whether it was uh, really the fact that there needed to be that dark to the light. It's out there. 
Right, and then and then of course you know in in more modern storytelling, it's the you know taking the the evil bad force and trying to find redemption for him or her, Would and you... that's you know that's kind of the. We'll we'll get into a lot of this uh, in the next hour when we can talk about the Dickens ghosts. But would you consider Scrooge to be kind of one of these, you know, dark to the light figures at least in the beginning of the story? I would, I would, and I, th- I think that I think that that's what makes him, um, that's what makes him appealing because he's an extreme of kind of what is in all of us and what you know possibly can come out sometimes in us. And it goes from being a um, being a, a, a character flaw to a lifestyle, <laughs> you know. And I, and I think that's that's why he he becomes such a kind of touchstone for people. And I think that uh, we all hope that you know we can have that redemption in our own lives. I mean, uh, no, obviously not everybody's is, is the same depths of character that uh, Scrooge displays, but. You know, it shows that to all of us, if we're just faced with the opportunity to change, we'd like to think that we would take it. Uh, right. And what it takes to make us change is, is different, which is why the ghosts are so um, so universal and kind of this, this really good uh, catching mechanism for the different types of, um, of, of, of sparks of redemption, which is something we're getting into a lot when we, uh, when we come back. And uh, also when we come back, uh, as I mentioned, we'll talk about uh, the idea of uh, haunted objects, which is our, our new project that we're working on. But uh, one of the story, a lot of the stories that I was finding online of people reporting their holiday uh, tales, they, they would talk about a certain uh, traditional item they would bring out, be it an ornament or a decoration, or uh, in one case it was a, a chair that they only brought out at Christmas time that they left there that was supposedly supposed you know supposed to be for um, you know the Christmas spirit to come and, and take a seat in, and it seems like these items have something attached to them, and I think that by people focusing on them they've kind of created that spirit uh, attached to them, and when, when we think about it we probably all have something like that in our own our own household. There's there's something that it's not Christmas until this comes out. And uh, right. I know when I was younger, it was always, uh, there was a ceramic Christmas tree that my mother had with all the little lights in it. And uh, even though she would set up, she's crazy. She's Christmas crazy. She would set up the Christmas tree the day after Halloween if she could. But we knew it was really getting close to Christmas when that tree would come out. Uh, and in my wife's family, they have uh, like uh, one of those advent calendars where you move the little mouse uh, each day as you get closer to Christmas, and that was kind of their tradition. So I think that these items have developed this power uh, to to really instill the Christmas spirit in people. Yeah, and you need that countdown. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like no, a, that's that's the reminder for the parents. That's what it is. Right. right. I mean, is there is there any way to uh, for a normal person to be that great person all year long, um, or can there be this kind of like you know? Going from zero to sixty in, in, in two seconds is not easy, but going from zero to sixty in, you know, twenty four days of an advent calendar is a lot easier. But I mean, if they do attach those feelings and those sentiments to these items, what if you left them out all year? What if you're somebody who has, you know, like for example, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the pro wrestler Mick Foley, but uh, he actually has in his house a Christmas room where he has Christmas decorations all year round because he loves the holidays so much. 
I mean, if if you keep that one item out where you could see it, would you would it still have that power? Do you think, or is it because it's so closely associated with the holiday that it's uh, it's kind of limited in its reach? I think that it's probably limited in its reach for most people. I, I think that it's, it's probably one of those things where, you know, the I don't think the object itself has the power. I think it's the people's emotions behind it, and I think that. You know, like with so many things, you know, if we saw a miracle every day, they would stop being miracles to us. They would become commonplace. And so, you know, to have that out kind of really brings out that part of you that, you know, is looking looking to be the best person you can be and looking to get into the spirit, and then you kind of all focus on that one thing. And it's the anticipation, too. You know, we've talked about, you know, if, if people ever got out their EMF meters right before a, a surprise party and, and, and took readings, what would, they, what would happen? Um, or something else that could, you know, if you could take pictures, would you see energy in people and, and things like that? And, and and I think it's kind of the same way, that anticipation of it coming out and then the, the release when it does is, is a lot of the, uh, the mojo that gets attached to it. Well, if I could keep one Christmas decoration out all year round, you know what it would be. Oh, mistletoe. Mistletoe, absolutely. Which... I was unaware of the history of that either until uh, researching this show. Uh, it says the tradition of kissing underneath the mistletoe began with a Scandinavian goddess called Frigga. So that might be why, you know, we use the word frigging. I don't know. Frigga's son Baldur was shot with an arrow made of mistletoe. While Frigga's friends conjured up powers to save the boy, his mother cried tears that became the white berries on the mistletoe. Frigga's friends succeeded in saving Baldur's life. Frigga ordered that the mistletoe should never again be used to harm others. Instead, she made it a symbol of love by kissing everyone who passed under it, which is a great story, and it, it's a little bit better than this other story that I read that said that uh, the uh, holly, uh, the sharp edges of holly leaves are to remind us of the crown of thorns that Jesus wore upon his brow, and the red berries remind us of the blood that Jesus shed. So there seems to be a lot of uh, preoccupation with the blood of Jesus here and some of the stuff that I was finding. Well, I think that it's, uh, <laughs> it's important to... Uh... It's important to uh, remember that, and you see a lot of, especially down here in the South, a lot of signs that are kind of focusing, uh, focusing you back on what uh, this season means for, for Christians, or what should mean for Christians. But at the same time, you know, when we celebrate the birthday of other noted figures, we don't, you know, focus so much on their death either. <laughs> at the same time, you know, and nobody's talking about James Earl Ray on Martin Luther King Day, for example. Eh, <laughs> throwing that out. There. Well, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's also, you know, most. Um, most clergy would tell you that this is the second most important uh, holiday on the Catholic or Christian calendar. Mm-hmm. I can't say Christian, but at least Catholic calendar. You know, most clergy would tell you that it's Eastern, not not Christmas. So I think that's where that ideal comes from. And before we uh, take a break here for the news, Chris, is there anything on your Christmas list this year? Is there anything that you really want to get this year? Uh, a copy of Ghost of the South. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will be getting that. That goes without saying. Um, well, you know that's that's just about it for me. So, but uh, so I can't imagine all the things that you could ask for for Christmas, and all you want is a measly book. Um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, like you were saying, man, it's so much more focused on on my kids nowadays. So it's more of like, man, I really want to find that orange surfboard that my son wants. I was I was going to say know, something you... like that, and, and and more than anything, I want for myself. I want sleep, which I'm going to get because I'm on Christmas break for two weeks. Well, you know that uh, up here, people have to get sleds for Christmas. They can't get surfboards, like in kind of Florida. <laughs> but uh, is, what's what's the big toy happening in your house this Christmas season? Um, well, you know, my my son is obsessed with dinosaurs, 
Um, anyone who knows me is tired of hearing that, but he is. And so we got him the those the toys that are like blocks you put together, and they're like dinosaur captures. So that's the big thing that he's going to flip out. That and you know he's finally gone from the leapfrog age to the DS age. So that's that's the other big hit that we're going to get. Yeah, we. I mean, hopefully my my son's not listening, but <laughs> we have a we have a DSI coming his way, and uh, and Pokemon is huge in my house this year, which I I find amazing because I thought Pokemon fad was over like ten years ago, but. Uh, Apparently it's still going strong, and so it's uh, it's going to be a very Pokemon Christmas at my house. And as for my daughter, you know, you give her anything and she's excited. So, you know, we're just going to give her all the gifts my son has. We're just going to give her the paper, and hopefully that <laughs> satisfies her till her birthday. Well, let, let's just point out that your daughter is very young. Because <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it sounds like she's just not very bright. So yes. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> And uh, for all you kids that are listening, we're, we're just kidding about this. Santa Claus is really bringing all these presents. We're just, we're, this is just what grown-ups talk about because we feel so uh, paled in comparison to Santa Claus's awesome power. So there you have yeah. it. All right, we're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we're going to talk more about these Legends of Christmas. Chris is going to get into the ghosts of Charles Dickens because, uh, and I've heard Chris talk about this before, and, and uh, it's more than just a good story. And uh, we'll we'll talk about all that and more coming up in the second hour. Later on in the show, we're going to talk about the new project that Chris and I are working on that we need your help for. Uh, we need your stories, your experiences. And I can tell you that uh, if you think about it, you can probably contribute something to this uh, because we've all heard these stories. So we'll be back with all of that and more coming up after a break. Again, Ghost of the South Coast. It's here for sale in the studio. $20. Come on down. We'll be here till midnight. Stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. Spooky South Coast is back. Actually, in reality, I am... Charles Bronson. Here's more of Spooky South Coast. No belly, this ain't over. I I'm not afraid. You will. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And uh, we have content director for Spooky South Coast, Christopher Balzano, on the line. Uh, he is performing in his role of, as analytical folklorist tonight and basically a man all about the paranormal and all about Christmas, sharing, us, uh, sharing with us some of the interesting uh, Balzano breakdowns of Christmas thoughts and traditions and just talking about that Christmas feeling, Chris. I never noticed that, Chris. Christmas. Huh. Mm, you, you wonder? Mm. You know, I think really people should celebrate me. You put the Chris in Christmas. <laughs> so, 
While while we were taking a break for the news, did you come up with any better gifts that you wanted besides the book? Um, like socks. I, uh, you know, that's actually one of my family traditions. Is that my my uh, my brother-in-law um, gave my actually my mother gave my brother-in-law these electric blue socks one year, and he was like, "I would never wear. When would I ever possibly wear this? Like, I don't go to clown college. You know, I'm not. When would I ever wear these? And so the next year, she got them wrapped up. And so for the past 15 years, these socks have have been you know passed as kind of like one of the last presents that someone knew every year. So. It's kind of become this very weird, you're in the family, you're considered part of the family when you get the socks. So, like, when my wife got them, and then my, you know, brother-in-law part two got them, and, you know, it's this very weird sock thing. So I'm hoping to do anything except for get the socks, because they're, you know, I might actually wear them this year. Yeah, it's kind of like a tradition for my wife to give me socks, because I usually wear them out between, you know, Father's Day and Christmas, so... I have no idea why I destroy socks the way I do, but it's 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 kind of a paranormal thing unto itself. Says the person that stands through an entire show. <laughs> that shouldn't really shouldn't really affect him that much, right? I do stand like all day long, so that might be part of it. Uh, but anyway, you know, I mean, when we're younger, you know, we have all these dreams of what we're going to get for Christmas and all these uh, all these things that we want, and then when we get older, we go out and we buy everything that we wanted that we never got for Christmas. So with that in mind, if anybody has a Robbie the Robot for the Nintendo Entertainment System, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com. Name your price. <laughs> it's it's amazing because Costa and I go to a lot of like, you know, we go to the pawn shop together and we go to like all these, make it sound like we go antiquing together or something. But, you know, we, we, go, out, we go out on adventures from time to time and, and uh, right, sooner, sooner or later one of us bumps into something that we always wanted when we were younger and now we can have it. And even though we have no practical use for it anymore, we need to at least possess it for a little while. So, you you really distracted me with that Back to the Future game, by the way. December twenty second. December twenty second. It's coming out December twenty second. Yep. And I can buy it December twenty second. I believe it's on the uh, PlayStation Store. It's gonna be on nice. Twenty four ninety five is going to be five episodes. I'm telling my brothers in the studio. I'm telling them all about it because he's <laughs> as big of a Back to the Future fan as I am. So. All right. Anyway, I'm, though I don't mean to hijack the discussion, Chris. Uh, you, you, you know, you were talking about Christmas before. You want to go back to that? <laughs> well, I, I do. I do have a little bit of a Christmas miracle, which I could totally segue into, um, because one of the things that I want for Christmas, I guess I do want something, is uh, a Patriots win. Yeah. Um, and I'm feeling that most of the people, uh, you know, in the area are uh, are hoping that the Patriots can pull them out against that. You know, offensive onslaught being brought on by their backup quarterback on their, his first start. But here's the segue. Uh, there was a little bit of early Christmas um, cheer, cheer, miracle, however you want to place it, uh, out of Wisconsin and out of the from basically from the Bishop of Green Bay this week that I ran across on Ghost Village News that I just wanted to share with everybody. Um, and that is the Adelaide Brissa. Um, and for those people who don't know who that is, um, back in 1959, she had the appearance of Mary to her. Um, and Mary spoke to her um, and called herself, I believe, the, the Queen of All Giving or something like that. And, you know, it kind of went in for, you know, for since then, it's been kind of this place where 
people have gone to be healed and people have gone to champion Wisconsin, which I guess is outside of Green Bay and, and been uplifted by being there, you know, and, 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 uh, Jeff Blanger writes this really great section on his legend tripping book about appearances of Mary and kind of, you know, people who flocked to them. Um, but this, actually, this week was officially confirmed. It's only one of 12 confirmed sightings around the world, and the first in America, of the appearance of Mary. So while the Green Bay uh, fans can, can, you know, they can basically get over the fact that they're going to get their... Uh, their hand, their uh, their their Christmas gift, Christmas coal early, and they and you, uh, from the Patriots by realizing that they actually have the only appearance of Mary that's been confirmed in the United States this week. So, Merry Christmas to the people of Green Bay. A question for you, Chris. Is yeah. it, isn't this the same uh, place where people would bring rosary beads and they would get a like a gold varnish that would start to appear on them? Yep. Yep, um, that and, and there was also this weird thing. The smell of roses and rose petals falling from the sky. Yeah, there was there, and, and there was actually rosaries that would fall, like whole roses yeah. that would fall from the sky. Yeah. Um, and so it became this very like paranormally charged. Um, usually, you know, these things of Mary are, you know, now you can walk, and and instead there were these very weird things that there was. There was one story that I read because I started following up on this. Um, there was one story I read that came up with it where a person had crutches, um, and they went into uh, some body of water that was there. I can't remember the body of water. And when they came out, not only did they no longer need their crutches, but their crutches were broken up into crosses. Interesting. Wow. No, and there was no, there was no person you know nearby who 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 could have you know possibly done this in the time that the person was in the water. So, it, and then like you're saying, like things falling from the sky and things transforming right there. I actually got a chance to test a. Uh set of rosary beads that were turned to gold. Well, they weren't completely turned to gold, but uh, they had this golden hue to them. And uh, I have, at the time, an AA, or Atomic Absorption Spectrometer, that at work. Yeah. One of these As we all do. Yeah. <laughs> things that keep around. It's for analyzing metals. And I took a scraping off the top of the beads, and it did turn out to be actual gold. So... Whether this, you know, is something that, yeah, it, it's it's it just boggled my mind. It just boggled it, my mind. It's just a, that you know, most of these sites are are accompanied by miracles in the form of healings and and things like that. And and this one had that as well, but it also had this uh, this different twist of you know paranormal activity happening in the form of like things transforming and things falling from the sky and stuff like that. I, when you when you analyze it, I'm surprised that you didn't find out that it was cheats. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this much: Green Bay may have had the uh, you know the symbolic appearance of the Virgin Mary, but I think uh, Gillette might have the symbolic appearance of something with the name Lombardi on it. <laughs> Sometime soon. We it's, just isolated every fan from the uh, from the Green Bay area. Uh, they, they don't have computers out there. We actually, we actually have one of our chat room regulars, Paranormal Pirate, is here in the chat in the uh, spooky studio with us, decked out in a Tom Brady jersey. So there's karma for you right there. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, uh, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, Chris, we can go commercial free the rest of the way, and uh, we can get into some more Christmas miracles, some Christmas stories, and we'll talk about those uh, ghosts of Christmas, past, present, and future. And and you're going to include Marley's ghost in that too, right? Because you said four. 
Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. Absolutely. All right. So we'll be right back with more with Chris Balzano here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. All right, welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz, the paranormal pirate hanging out in the studio. And we have on the line our content director, Chris Balzano, who is our guest tonight, talking with us about Christmas, which is uh, coming up. If you haven't finished your shopping, get out there now. There's a lot of stores that are still open. We have uh, Spooky South Coast T-shirts available. We have Ghosts of the South Coast books available, so... You know, it makes a great present for your paranormal fans. And, of course, all of Chris's books are available as well. You can get them on Amazon.com and on MassCrossroads.com and pretty much everywhere books are sold. And speaking of books, Chris, uh, I guess we should throw this out there, too, before we uh, wrap up the discussion tonight with uh, more Christmas stuff. But you and I are actually embarking on a new project, or basically you are, and I kind of honed my way into it, I guess. <laughs> uh, bailed me out sounds uh, it's probably a better, uh, <laughs> a more accurate description of it, but... Uh... But yeah, you know, it, it's, you know, I've been working on some, some different things outside of the paranormal realm that, uh, that I'm, I'm hoping to kind of grow. And then I was approached by, um, a publisher to, uh, you know, via, uh, Mr. Belanger to work on a book of haunted items. Um, and, you know, over the course of our discussions, we kind of extended it to some other kind of things. But, but basically, um, and I brought you on board, and, and Tim and I are looking to um, to basically create this kind of account of these different haunted items that have floated in and out of people's lives and, and document some of the classic cases, uh, such as all those famous dolls that are around there, as well as kind of going into the heart of some of these museums uh, that hold curiosities and kind of hold these haunted and cursed items as well. So uh, that's the project that we have going, and we would love to have people's stories and it, it's kind of this very broad term of you know haunted items and it's it's one of the things that we're going to explore and it's one of the things i've been exploring and you know as i've kind of been you know writing down notes for the introduction and for the kind of the description of what is a haunted item and it's, it's kind of like is the item itself haunted um does it become the spark of the haunting is it the reflection of the haunting and i literally mean reflection of the haunting at times and so i would love to get people's ideas and people's stories as well and as you said, we are going to discuss a number of well-known cases. And uh, our friend Low Battery Dave in the chat room has sent uh, a lot of information about the little girl's dress that's at uh, Stone's Public House. And, you know, we want those type of stories, obviously, to be represented. Annabelle the doll, Robert the doll, the haunted mirror at Myrtle's Plantation, all these different famous haunted items. But we also need to hear about the ones that people don't know about. We need to hear about the ones that have impacted people individually and, you know, they, that might not be on a tour somewhere or might not be in a museum somewhere but are sitting on somebody's shelf in their house or was on their shelf until they had to get rid of it. You know, we want to hear about that. We want people to get in touch with us and share those stories. Maybe they had one. They no longer have it. Maybe they know somebody that had one. Uh, you know, if we can get to the crux of the story there, that's that's what we're really looking for. Right. And we're also we're also looking for curses as well, or things that you think might have been cursed that, you know, when you got rid of them all of a sudden it was like, ah, you know, the the, the clouds parted, the sunshine came through and, and looking for some things that uh you know, maybe were uh were bad tiki's in your life. 
And if you want to share these with us, you can obviously email us uh, as the best way to get a hold of us. Uh, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, Balzano at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also get a hold of both of us on Facebook. And uh, pretty much, you know, we're, we're all over the place. If you can't get a hold of us, then you're not looking hard enough. <laughs> so, uh, and, and My wife says that you can't find me. <laughs> and uh, and we need these stories quick. Don't procrastinate, because uh, <laughs> part of the reason why I had to I had to offer up my services because they gave you a really tight window to get this done. They did, and it's kind of it's one of those things. You know, I wrote um, I actually wrote uh, "Picture Yourself, Capturing Ghosts on Film" on a much tighter deadline than this even, and it didn't come out the, quite the way that I wanted it to. So I'm looking to kind of redeem myself with this uh, with this. Um, uh, this project here, so. So, and if, if you so, want to keep us in the paranormal world, we got to uh, we got to keep the juices flowing. Yeah, because uh, these this book might become a haunted item if uh, we don't get it out there in time. So. Well, hopefully, we can get at least one really good story about a haunted book for the book. So, uh, so we're going to work on that. I got one for you, actually. Okay. Your copy of Ghost of the South Coast. <laughs> <laughs> You're haunted by the prospect of actually receiving it. All right. Well, let's. Uh, you will get it in time, hopefully in time for Christmas, and uh, that's what we're talking about here tonight. And uh, and I know that you uh, you did have one more Christmas story that you wanted to share with us before we get into the Dickens ghosts. Yeah, no, but this one's uh, going to take a lot less time. Um, you know, those of us who work in the, at least me, working in the paranormal world, I, I kind of have this uh, buyer's regret theme, which is someone calls me up uh, or someone emails me and they want to tell me their story. And they tell their story, and then, you know, I always try to set up, like, well, why don't you email me some this, that, the other thing, or, you know, well, why don't you call me back, and another time we can discuss it. I always make some excuse for them to make a second contact, because a lot of people back down. They want to get the story out, and then once the story is out, it's kind of like, a, a, you know, something is lifted off their shoulders, they're relieved, and so they never contact me again. So the story's kind of lost in the, uh, in the, in the paranormal ether that's out there. And this is one of those cases where uh, someone contacted me, and uh, I remember locking myself in the bathroom. My son was really young, and he was playing, and he was occupied. And So I'm like, okay, I locked myself in the bathroom and got this woman's story. Took a ton of notes. She never contacted me again. Uh, but her story went something like this. Um, in early December, her brother had died, and um, she was really broken up about it. She was really horrified by it. It was this really traumatic thing. You know, anyone, especially during the holiday season, kind of gearing up for it. Um, a death is always really powerful. Um, and she was really grieving over it. And she came home one day, and this was only a few days before Christmas, so this was a few weeks after he had passed. And she had one of the old school, because it happened a few years ago, one of the old school voice machines. And, you know, it was blinking, so she clicked on it, and it was her brother. And she's, you know... She was, hey, what's going on? And she was kind of like thrown off, like, had this been on there the whole time? And she had just never noticed it. She had obviously gotten messages since then, and she, it was all very confusing. And it was just this message. It didn't say, like, I'm calling from beyond or anything like that. It was just like, hey, what's going on? Um, yeah, I just wanted to tell you in case I forget that um, the gift that I got, uh, Tim, Tim was like the, the, the young son. Uh, the gift that I got for Tim, I actually left over at a friend's house. It's in his, um, you know, we bought it that night together. I wrapped it, and I kind of, Put it in there, you know. Oh, you know me. I always forget things, and um, yeah. So, uh, so if I forget, you know, if, if I ever should be handed, you know, like, don't forget to remind me that the present is in there. It was like some like weird message like that, basically telling where the gift was. Um, 
And so she, you know, this obviously made her cry again. She tried to listen to it a second time. It wasn't there on the answer machine anymore. But when she got in contact with the, with the, her her brother's friend, who actually then rummaged through his uh, his closet, there was the present, and it was addressed to the person. It was you know from Uncle whatever it was, and and um, and she ended up being able to give it to her. And it was this really weird gift from beyond the grave. Well. <laughs> And you, but you say that it was definitely left while he was still alive. I mean, they know for sure from date stamp. Oh yeah, yep, yep. yep. The guy said he remembered going out. It was like just a little bit before, before the guy got into a car accident. It was you know the guy remembered it vividly. Remembered it putting it in the closet. They remember joking around about it because he was such like a lackadaisical guy that he had actually seen this thing and remembered it. And like, wow, this is the perfect thing. I'm going to buy it now. And um, and he remembered the whole thing. And the, and the unfortunate thing was I was never able to make a second contact with this woman to check that story out and so it's one of those things as, a, as an investigator as an interviewer you have to go by the intensity of the, the person who's telling the story mm-hmm. um, and, and the fact that this woman had such vivid details about it the fact that you know she had all these kind of things attached to it the fact that it was well past it so it was obviously something that was uh, weighing on her and she decided to call me it was um, it, it was it, it stayed with me to this day and uh, you know but that's that's the effect that it has. I mean, like you said, when, when you're in getting ready for the holidays and, and something like that happens, it takes a whole different turn. It's it's almost like it took every emotion that you had and completely put it into a, you know, a 180. Right. And then, you know, in talking with her, one of the things I explored with her was, so then how did you feel after that? You know, I mean, was it uplifting? Mm-hmm. Was it depressing? And, and she said that for her it was uplifting and that for her it was one of these signs that her brother was in a better place because he had had kind of a questionable past, and and it was it was it was um, confirmation for her that not only was he in a good place, but there was something positive after. So it was a, a it was a Christmas redemption for him, so to speak. <laughs> it was. It actually was. Yeah, I didn't think I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, it was this kind of his last act being this you know glorious you know gesture of of, of giving and and not forgetting. Well, one one character who was able to have that redemption in life and didn't have to wait wait for death for it to happen, of course, was Ebenezer Scrooge. And as we mentioned earlier, you know, he was kind of that dark antithesis of Christmas uh, at the beginning of the story. And I know that you've done uh, a great deal of analysis on the four ghosts in A Christmas Carol, uh, and you see them as more than just plot devices. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are... They're of this, you know, I don't think necessarily Dickens was divinely inspired to write about them. Um, I think that, that in many ways he might have used them as a literary device, but I think they, they hold up as something more than that. I mean, they really are this um, way for people to look into themselves and see what's going on. Um, and, and one of the amazing things is, is I was teaching, like I said, I was teaching this thing, and you basically had to take a ghost. And I said there was a recession. And so two of the ghosts had to be fired. So we could only keep one ghost to go out there and redeem people. Which ghost are you going to choose? Um, and then write an essay about it. And overwhelmingly, the students picked the ghost of the future. And, um, yeah, I was kind of like, as they were writing, I'm like, well, why, why do you pick the ghost of the future? They're like, oh, you know, like, when you look at that and you see something bad's going to happen, you totally stop. And I'm thinking, you know, that for their life, that makes complete sense because they're consequence-based. If you don't do your homework, this is going to happen to you. 
you know, you're going to get an F if you don't do this, this, and this. If you don't pick up your room, this is going to happen. So they're very much consequence-based. And so I started talking to a lot of people who are my age and, you know, a little bit younger and a little bit older and being like, well, what ghost would, you know, would you have saved? And then overwhelmingly, they picked the ghost of the past because they were looking at it like, if I could go back and change this, that, and that, I know I would be a better person. You know, I'd be happier. I wouldn't have made the mistakes I made. Um, and, and so it became this generational thing. I'm, I'm very interested if I was able to kind of talk to some people who were maybe between the ages of like 20 and 30, which ghosts they would look for, like whether they were much more uh, present-based because they were living in a time that, you know, they feel like they can make an immediate change in POW, like they would get immediate results. And so it, it, in, in creating these, these ghosts, especially those three, Dickens really created this kind of paranormal influence causing you to look inside yourself. And in doing it, he touched, like, all the bases for all the different types of people that you can um, you can look to or the kind of stages in your life you can look to to kind of find that redemption. You know, and Scrooge shows signs of that all throughout. You know, there's these moments where he, he has that revelation and then his defense mechanism kind of kicks in. And it's only, you know, probably because of his age. And when he looks at the future and he sees that there are these consequences that are happening and that, the, and more importantly, the future is potentially changeable, that he's actually able to kind of fall on his knees. And I don't think it's just that he's dead, because we all die. <laughs> you know, there's a reason why the ghost of Christmas future, um, or Christmas yet to come, is, you know, close, so closely resembled to death, because it's coming, like we're all going to die. And yet, you know, I think it's more of this kind of, and no one cares, mm. you know, and no one really is, is there to grieve for me, you know, and it, it's kind of this you know, this parallel structure, because obviously Dickens was obsessed with the youth of his country. Um, and so kind of this parallel parallel between him and Tiny Tim, them both dying, them both being, you know, you have this child who's grieved for, and this old man who, you know, in his lifetime should have made so many connections not grieved for, and that's the redemption. You know, that's the spot where it's finally like, wait a minute, it's not this that I die. It's the fact that I die and no one cares. And, and I love the... One of my favorite old versions of it was the one where Richard Little plays all the different parts of the of the Christmas story, Christmas Carol. And, you know, he has the very Shakespearean gravedigger scene where everyone's making fun of him, you know, that he died. So it's not just that he died, but it's like they're all, like, kind of really ragging on him. That scene really sticks out in my mind, and, and that's what it is. It's like, you know, what are you going to leave as your legacy? Well, I think part of the, the misconception with a Christmas Carol, especially some of the more... Um, made-for-television version, some of the more popularized versions of it, is too many people look at it as Scrooge's transformation doesn't come until faced with that death. That's what changes his mind, and they, they kind of dismiss the effect that the other ghosts have on him. Uh, and in terms of, uh, you know, of his character, I mean, we see him kind of putting up a fight to the message that the other ghosts are, are trying to convey to him. But it's it's kind of like a chipping away. It's not just all of a sudden this one revelation when faced with his own death. It's a chipping away and a realization of who he was uh, that that basically eventually leads to that breakdown of it's not the fact that he dies. It's the fact that he dies before he gets the chance to change who he was. And, and I think a lot of what people miss, because not many adaptations focus on this, is the fact that, you know, when he is in the, the present, when he's with the ghosts of Christmas present, um, the guy gets old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, as they're going along. 
as Christmas is running out, he's aging as it goes. And so, so Scrooge is actually able to kind of see in this, and of course it's then like, you know, exclamation point when he gets to the actual yet-to-come part, that time is running out. You know what I'm saying? Like, and Marley says the same exact thing to him at the beginning. It's like this, you know, you, you're running out of time. This is a, you know, for many people there will be other brothers that can come in and step in, but, you know, this is, this is just about it for you. The the concept of Marley's ghost is always the one that's uh, the most interesting to me, not just because that's the one that Goofy played in uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, but also because <clears throat> it, it's almost like um, Scrooge would be dismissive of the other three had it not been Marley that came and foretold of their arrival. Yeah, and like I hinted at the beginning, who the heck sends him? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's that's the really at the... For this, for some reason, I think I was, you know, because we were in such in-depth discussions in class on it, who sends Marley? You know, Marley makes no reference to him being sent from God or from Jesus or anything like that. It's like, is Marley kind of trying to uh, chip away at his own redemption uh, in his own purgatory, maybe trying to get rid of some of the chains by doing this? Does he find love? Um, and in that, wants to save someone who's in the same situation? You know, all of these, and, and, and does Marley then control these other ghosts? Does he send these ghosts? Is there some kind of force that sends them? You know, and Marley really exemplifies that because he is the, he is the counterpoint to the redemp- redemption of Scrooge. But if you look at it, you know, there's got to be some kind of motivation for him. Because even if he shows love to Scrooge, you know, in that classic line of mankind should have been my business, um, it's, it's, you know, is there this, um, story that he's playing out, and that's why he, he goes. And and you have to think like, and of course Dickens is great for his his opening lines, but you know like, you know it's like Marley was as dead as a doorknob. Um, that's that kind of says it all, and it puts the puts you kind of right in place for what this story is going to be about. And and you know, unfortunately, never really really explored in too much in depth exactly. You know what is the force that's sending Marley out, and what is his relationship to these ghosts? Did he see them himself and make the wrong decision? Um, if I recall correctly, doesn't Scrooge mention Marley ahead of time uh, in a in a sense summoning him when he's talking about you know oh Marley's desk being there and empty it uh, just before Christmas before he goes to bed before he goes home? Well, exactly. That's that's why it starts with him. You know, so like it, it starts with it starts with talking about Marley and what Marley's been through, and then of course. <laughs> You know, he first sights it before he goes in the house, which already gets his mind thinking about it. So that's, a, that's, that's interesting. what I'm saying. Does, he actually does, summon? does yeah. Scrooge summon him it, huh. by, by thinking about it? You're asking who's sending Marley. I, I think it was Scrooge himself summoning him. So the change, the desire for the change was kind of coming from within and subconsciously. Scrooge's own self-conscious, yes. Which, of course, then supports, you know, some people's belief that the entire thing is a hallucination and that he's kind of having this own kind of moral play inside of himself uh, either in dream form or in or in hallucination form, be it from you know bad food or for some other thing that that you know, and therefore Marley becomes the first kind of tangible evidence for him in this kind of you know moral play that he's he's kind of involved in. And of course, excellent the, point, Monies. I'm writing that down. I'm ste- totally stealing that. <laughs> By all means. And and the <laughs> idea you mentioned briefly, though uh, the the chains of Marley, and and the fact that. He is kind of tied down to to that Scrooge type existence. Uh, he can't break those chains, and I mean I don't know enough about 
the idea of chains, how they're associated with ghosts. But, you know, naturally we hear, we hear later stories of ghosts uh, having to do with rattling chains. Uh, was that a construct that came about because of Marley's ghost, or is that something that was associated with ghosts before Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol? Actually, I believe that was well before because a lot of times the ghosts were reports from people that were suffragists, and usually those were people that were criminals that were chained to this or that or slavery. So the the chains, you know, I, I think that even though it could have been a, a uh, characterization of a ghost, but it did have a deeper literal meaning in Marley's sense. Right, and of course you have to keep in mind that so much of this um, from Dickens' time was based on that suffrage that that Moniz was talking about, and, and that it, it was, you know, the story and all Dickens' stories are about slavery um, mm-hmm. and are about trying to break away from that. So it would only make sense that he would then turn to what he knew, which was then that symbolism of those chains meaning that. Is there, uh, in the modern retellings of this and everything from... You know the the 1950s teleplays versions to the Muppets versions to everything. Uh, do you see the original intent of the story being diluted uh, down to now just this basic redemptive story and <clears throat> doesn't have as many layers as it did with with Dickens' version? Are we oh, losing completely. something in the translation? Completely. I mean, I think you know my favorite version um, is Scrooged. You know, with uh, Bill Murray. Yeah. Which I would probably put in my top ten favorite movies of all time, you know, regardless of Christmas. I just think it's, you know, and why do we not remember Richard Donner anymore? But anyway, as a side note, <laughs> you know, and in that version, for example, ignorance and want are under the cloak of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Um, when, you know, traditionally they're in the ghost of the ghost of Christmas present. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, they took a complete poetic license with that, not even really caring or even touching upon, you know, what those two children are meant to symbolize. Um, and once again, Dickens, tight, tight, tight connection between, you know, the adult world and this child slavery world. Um, and so, you know, you see that. And, and probably the best, the other best example of that is, is that you ask people about, um, you know, A Christmas Carol, and they usually can't give you the full title. They usually don't know what the title actually is. My students had no idea when I said A Christmas Carol what I was talking about. And then I was like, you know, it's Scrooge. They go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of them focus on the, the Scrooge aspect of it, and I think that has something to do with it. Of course, mm-hmm. they've seen so many versions that they don't know titles anymore anyway. They're all just kind of mixed together. Um, but when referring to the ghost, they refer to it as the ghost of the past, the ghost of the present, and the ghost of the future. And it's like, but it's not. You know, if you really read it, every single moment that happens in that story happens on Christmas Eve or Christmas. Um, and so it's really this kind of distortion. Like, we really kind of forget the fact that they're not the ghosts of the past, they're the ghosts of Christmas's past. Mm-hmm. And that really, all the emotional stuff we were talking about before, if we look back, we can probably trace ourselves to where we were on Christmases or during the holiday season throughout our lives. And great changes that happened or great moments that we could change that happened in those moments. So I think those are probably the, the two biggest distortions, especially... You know, the, the taking out many times of ignorance and want, um, but then also kind of like the interchangeable, and there's a few other versions that do it. And then, of course, this, you know, forgetting of what the ghosts actually, what their names were and what they what these scenes are supposed to be. And uh, we're coming up on the end of the show here, but I will say this about Scrooge. The one thing that it does convey very well is the world that the, you know, the, the Scrooge, Frank, the Scrooge-type character is uh, involved in uh, because... It's not just him that thinks. I mean, his, his way of thinking is supported 
by those around him. You know, the the owner of the network, you know, likes the way that he does things. So there's justification for him to be the way that he is. And it's easier to kind of continue in that realm than to make the change. That's one thing that's lost in a lot of these versions is uh, how much easier it would be for Scrooge to just continue how he is and what a big sacrifice he's making to make that change to be a better person. And and once again, to harp on the ignorance and want kind of thing again, it, it's if you follow the track of Scrooge throughout the story, it's subtle, you know. And it's and it's of course there's these great moments where he could have changed and he didn't change. Specifically, talk about the past, but for the most part, you know. And if we ever took Freud to 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 Dickens, we would go crazy. But of these moments in his childhood. And kind of in his early years where it's a very subtle thing, where the spirit is there and then it just kind of gets slightly twisted because he's giving into that, that want part of it, you know, mainly because of his ignorance. And so as he's kind of evolving into this picture, the world is kind of telling him it's okay. And then, of course, he takes it and go, runs with it and goes beyond what any, you know, Scrooge is, is not a, a creature of, you know, uh, it pops out of nowhere. He's in many cases, a, or many ways, a, a representation of what society as, is asking him to be. And unfortunately, he doesn't have a stop mechanism. Well, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this, Chris, before we go, because we are running out of time here. But um, you remember the character in Scrooge? Do you remember his, his full name? Xavier Francis Xavier Cross. And here's a little interesting side note, and I don't know if it's related, but I've just heard over the years, who was what was the hottest toy of the era? Uh, when that movie came out of the late 1980s, what was one of the hottest toys that everybody had trouble getting at Christmas time? Uh, cabbage Patch Kids. And what does it say on the ass of every Cabbage Patch Kid? Xavier Roberts. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> are they are they kind of kind of uh, <laughs> kind of hinting at something there? I don't know. All right. Well, uh, that does it for this week's show. But uh, we've got plenty coming up for you. We're going to be off next week. For the Christmas holiday, we're going to be back on New Year's Day night to look at some predictions for 2011. And then, Chris, I know you got a whole bunch of stuff lined up coming up uh, in the coming early months well, of January, 2011. January is going to be crazy. We've got um, we've got Stan Freeman coming back on. Uh, we've got people talking AM about zombies. Uh, we've got the computer going off on its own. We've got the computer going. Off. Uh, we've got. Um, People talking about uh, you know Nazis in the occult and Roswell, and so it's just going to be. We've got uh, someone coming on about uh, uh, Coral Castle. It's going to be a really exciting month, and, and hopefully, getting right into February, especially with no uh, with no basketball, dude. We're going to have a, an amazing late winter and spring. Awesome. All right. Well, we look forward to talking to you. Uh, happy holidays to you and yours, and to everyone out there in the audience. Uh, until we come back uh, in 2011. For Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular.